So I'm taking two commandments. I call this the Tender Commandments series. Really, it's kind of a play off the Ten Commandments. Now, you say, how are they tender? Because they're straight ahead and they're very plain. Here's how they're tender. They're tender because even though they're straight ahead, God wrote them to protect us so we wouldn't get hurt. When we get outside the boundaries of his truth, we get wounded and others get wounded as well. So the way that they're tender is the love of God is showing us the way so that we don't get hurt. And today, I'm taking two of those, but, we're, but I'm entitling the sermon, Watch Your Mouth. Did you ever hear your mother say that uh, <clears throat> growing up? These two commands have to do with the things that we say. Proverbs 18.21 says this, Words kill, words give life. They're either poison or fruit you choose. We need to be wise about the way we speak. And to be wise, we, we need to understand what the Lord says about our words. Because true wisdom comes from God. Your words, just a little tweak, just a little something said the wrong way, <clears throat> can hurt people. One day a little boy told his mother, Mommy, I really love you. She had a self-esteem problem, so she said, How can you love someone who's so fat and ugly like I am? To which the little boy said, Oh, Mom, you're not fat and ugly. You're fat and pretty. We have to be careful the way we say things <clears throat> or we hurt people. So today we take two of these 10 commandments that the Lord's given us and we're asking them to show us so that we might be blessed and a blessing. So let's take the, the third commandment first, the one that has to do with your mouth, our mouths, and it says this, don't misuse the name of the Lord. Another version that you're more familiar with says, don't take the name of the Lord in vain. I like misuse better than in vain because there's lots of ways you can misuse his name without saying a curse word beside it. It can still be misused in other ways. So it's broader than what we've thought because it says the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. We have to take it serious. What's in a name? Well, have you ever heard uh, anyone name their daughter Jezebel? No, probably not. How about Judas? Probably not. Why? Because they didn't live lives that are worthy of following. They made some huge mistakes and you just don't want to start your child off with everybody thinking of that as they go on in life. So it must be important because we're careful about the way we choose names. How about this, what's in a name? Let me, let me give you some names and see what happens when you, when you think of uh, the, in context of, of character and integrity. When I say Enron, what do you think? But when I say Apple, what do you think? When I say Richard Nixon, what are your thoughts? What about when I say Ronald Reagan? When I say Miley Cyrus, what do you think? Don't think long on that one. When I say Carrie Underwood, what do you think? When I say Jimmy Swaggart, what are your thoughts? When I say Billy Graham, what are your thoughts? Your name is your reputation. It's your life. It speaks of integrity or not, character or not. We don't want our names besmirched. We don't want people lying about who we are as persons and our character. We don't want people lying about our businesses that we've worked so hard to build with integrity. And if anybody 
hurts that character, that reputation, it's upsetting to us because it's a misrepresentation. Doesn't it make sense that God would be concerned about his name? That he wouldn't want people misrepresenting his name? That's where this commandment, that's the heart that it comes from. Question for us, a couple questions that we can answer for ourselves. How much respect do I have for God and his name? Second question. What am I doing to bring honor or dishonor to his name? We can see here it's obvious um, that you shouldn't curse. Uh, and people will say his name and then put damn behind it <clears throat> as, as if they would want to really banish people to hell. I'm going to assume that most of you already know that's bad and you're not doing it. That's my assumption that I'm going to make this morning. But I want to raise the standard a little bit beyond just that. Because that's usually what we think of when we think of this commandment. But it's bigger than that. The word vain, if you look at it in the Greek, I'm sorry, the Hebrew, it means uh, to use it in an empty way or a useless way or in a nothingness way. Wasted, worthless purpose. So we take his name in vain, we misuse his name when we use it even in a casual and careless way. It's tantamount to saying your name doesn't mean a whole lot to me, Uh, it's worth nothing in my estimation so I'll just cast it out casually when I'm not really thinking of you and your greatness. The Amplified Version of the Bible takes the same verse that this commandment comes from and it sheds light on it when it says, you shall not use or repeat the name of the Lord your God in vain, that is, lightly or frivolously, in false affirmations or profanely. See, that's a little broader and that's really what the word means. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So do we use his name in a flippant way? Um, do we use it in a way where we don't show much respect for it? No more respect than any other name in, or word in the English language. Do you know how holy his name was to the scribes in the day that this was written? And that's the, those that were the priests that would write down God's word or, or rewrite uh, the Pentateuch on paper. Ancient scribes so feared misusing God's name that when they came to Yahweh, they would take a bath and use a new pen before writing the word. And Yahweh means God. And they would leave out the vowels because they didn't feel worthy to write the whole word down. I'd say we think a little differently about his name these days, a little more casually, don't we? This word then became Jehovah and finally Lord, Yahweh, uh, and only the high priest could utter the name and only one day of the year, the day of atonement. They so revered the name of God that they were extremely careful with it. Are we careful with it? Would you say something to a person who misused your spouse's name? Would you be upset if someone was talking and misusing the name of your child, your son, your daughter? Yet, we hear his name misused often and we don't have much thought about it 
our concern in, in our hearts. I mean, if someone was speaking badly about one of my loved ones in my midst, they'd go, hey, 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 stop. I love them. There are times that we should even defend the name of the Lord, I believe as well. Jesus told us how to view the name of God the Father when he taught us how to pray in Matthew 6, 9. And here's what he said. When you pray, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, may your name always be kept holy. I just think that's a good thing for us to remember. Whenever we say God, whenever we say Jesus, that we would always use it in the holy sense and not in that flippant, frivolous sense. When I was a fifth grader in Santa Cruz, California, playing basketball out on the playground, we had a coach that was refereeing a game, had the striped shirt on, and we were running down the floor. My family didn't know the Lord. I didn't go to church at the time. And um, I did something that wasn't good or something happened in the game, and I, and I said God out loud. But I didn't say any words around it before or after. And he blew the whistle and he called a technical foul on someone for cursing. And I looked around to see who had cursed. I said, who cursed? And he said, you did. I said, I didn't curse. I didn't, I didn't say anything after that. I just said God. And he said, that's right. But were you mad when you said it? Or were you upset at something? I said, yeah. He said, well, then that is cursing. And he gave a technical foul for it. Well, that made me think. I've never done it since. I didn't really think of it that way, but that's exactly what was happening. I didn't mean it to revere or reverence. I didn't even say bad words before or after it, but I used it in such a way that it was defaming the name. I wonder now if that guy was a believer. I don't know. I, I bet he was. If you say, look, this isn't a big deal. I, I just want you to think of this. God is listening and it does matter because he made it one of his commands. It matters to him. His name matters. The way we live, the things we speak, the way we speak of him, it matters. So much so, here's the verse again. Look at it, the second half of it after he talks about this commandment. He says, the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. I'm just saying, that's God saying I don't like it. So I'm, I'm just a guy bringing what he says in his word and I'm not sure we think of it that way, but we should. We should be more careful with the name of God. And here's the proper way to use his name. In praise, to revere his name, to declare his name, to defend his name when people are misusing it or giving him a bad reputation or speaking things that aren't true uh, even about his love. So praise, revere, declaring his name, defending his name. These are ways that it should be it should be used. And God help us not to use it in a vain way to curse or even frivolously that we might be people who are cautious and careful with that great name of God the Father. So that's one way we need to be careful with our mouths that the Ten Commandments speak of. And I, I might just add cursing um, <clears throat> Uh, I don't think this has anything to do with that necessarily. It's talking about his name, but since we're on it, let me just uh, extend it out a little bit. There's another place where it says no unwholesome word should come out of our mouths. And it's, it's real common today, especially in young believers, 
for people to say, you know, it's not like you're not a Christian if you curse. God still loves you. It's not that big a deal. You guys have made a big deal out of it. And it might be true that some people got legalistic and made bigger deals out of that than issues that really matter of God's love. Might be true. However, I'm, I'm 53 now and I've lived a little bit and I can tell you even working in the workplace beyond the church, what I notice is if a believer ever curses, the unbelievers around them think they're hypocrites. Not the believers, the unbelievers. The unbelievers say, yeah, those guys go to church and they do their thing, but they're no different than us. Listen to them. So I want to give you another thought. If you think uh, just saying curse words, you know, Bono, uh, with one breath he praises God, and with another he'll say the F word in a concert, you know. And, and um, I'm sure God loves him, but I'm not sure that's helpful for, for, for God's reputation. And, and I think we ought to uh, we ought to be careful with these things and understand that it's not just about me. It's not just about you. It's about everybody around us too. What are they thinking of him? I'm his. I'm supposed to mirror who he is. I'm supposed to be his image. I can't see Jesus walking around saying that stuff, you know? And so God help us to, to, to be so concerned that it's not just about ourselves. It's about others and even the little ones around us and even more so those who do not know Jesus Christ yet. So there's just some thoughts on that. Now, second commandment that talks about our mouth here is this one. The, the ninth commandment, you must not give false evidence. That's the one we know as thou shalt not lie. I think this is a better translation to say false evidence because lying, we think of it as a very concrete thing where we said information that we, we purposely twisted and said it directly the opposite out loud. So we think that's a lie. But in America, we think we can dance around the truth as long as we don't specifically say the wrong thing, but we lead people to believe it, it's not a lie. That's what we think. That's why I like when it says false um, witness here or false evidence because the truth means 100% of the truth, not a portion. You know, the high schooler, that uh, they, when mom says, where were you? Well, we were at McDonald's and you went and touched McDonald's and then went somewhere else where you weren't supposed to be that's a lie. That's not 100% of the truth. And, and, and we're really good at manipulating truth in America, and we must be careful. Here's what it says. Don't give false testimony. What's the problem with lying or, or these false impressions? <clears throat> well, the first thought I have is we hurt ourselves. When I was a high schooler, I was a junior in Dallas, Oregon. <clears throat> That's a bedroom community to Salem. And... Um, I remember that my, my dad was a preacher and he's pretty strict and he wouldn't let us kids go to dances. So I really wanted to go to the prom my senior year and what I, you know what I did? I just snuck. I told him we're gonna dress up and go out to dinner, which was true, we did, but then we went to the dance. So I thought, you know, I just wanna do this. How bad can it be? And he'll never know, right? Only my picture was in the annual slow dancing with the girl that I took to the prom. So he actually uh, was, I never got away with anything growing up. I think God knew where he's going to take me eventually, right? And, and so I got, I got caught on everything. Well, dancing's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with dancing. There can be wrong things with dancing, but it's not, it's not necessarily, yeah, Miley showed us that too, but it's not necessarily, it's not necessarily bad. What's, what's bad, what was bad about this deal that I'm talking about is I lied to my dad. It, you, you know, it was a pretty difficult moment when he asked me if I went to the dance and then showed me the picture in the annual. Uh, he knew the answer to that. Here's the deal. I hurt my trust with my dad. 
it was hard for him to trust me for a while. You know, if this is going on, what else is going on? And then I think back, the people I went with to that dance knew that I was deceiving my parents. What kind of witness was that? When we lie, we hurt ourselves because people aren't going to trust us as much anymore. Let me, let me tell you, it, it's a big deal if a wife says to her husband, I won't put any more money on the visa, and then he discovers at the end of the month there's $500 that went for shopping when she said she wouldn't do it anymore. That's a big deal. It's a big deal when a husband says, no, I came right home after work and she finds out that he was somewhere else with his buddies. And someone else reveals it to her. How in the world do you trust people who do that? Now, there might be bigger issues at play, but the point is, when you, when you say you won't do something or you will do something with your children and your spouse, and then you are found doing it when you directly said you wouldn't, it is going to hurt you tremendously with them. They can't trust you, and, and really, have you shown them they can? Well, listen, you can recoup that trust, but it starts with an apology. It starts with behavior that's different. And God loves us so much, he wants that relationship with husband and wife to be completely sound and whole. And that starts with, 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 a, with a trust in one another that my husband, my wife, is truthful with me. These are big deals. When wives, when husbands, when children get hurt, and in our businesses, we're hurting ourselves if we're, if we're not speaking the whole truth. Because people eventually say, that person lied. You know, I've had people come to me over the 20 years I've been here and say, I, I, I'm not gonna go to church because you know what? There's a business person in your church that, that lied to me and cheated me. Now, I don't know if these things are true because people can say these things when they're not. But I have gone to some people in our church and said, look, I don't know if it's true, but I know this guy has issue. You know, maybe you should figure out what's going on there and try to make it right. But if we lie, they won't come back for business. I mean, if we tell them that it's this price, and it's not that price, I didn't say it in the first service, but I'm gonna say it now. There's something I did years ago as a, as a youth minister that I'm so sorry I did. I can't find the lady to apologize. But I was running a missions trip for about 100 kids that were going to Mexico. And I, had, I was securing flights, trying to find the best price to keep costs down for these children, students actually, in high school. And um, I, I had a call with this one lady and it was, looked like the best price and she said, can I lock that in? I said, well, let, that seems pretty good, let's lock it in. Two days later, I found a price that was, that was about $400 cheaper per student. And this is money coming out of their pockets. And in my mind, I was thinking, um, which is the worst of the two evils? To take $400 out of their pockets or to go back on your word? So uh, I called her and said, I'm not doing it. She said, you can't do that. I've already locked this in and something happened. I don't know. Travel agents would know. I don't know. And she was very upset. And I said, well, I, I know it's hard, but I feel like it's the right thing to do. Uh, through the years, that has really bugged me that I did that. I'm sorry that I did it because there's a scripture that says that the believer swears to his own hurt, meaning that he keeps his word. And... Uh, you know, we, we make mistakes, but the deal is, I, I won't ever make that mistake again, God willing, I won't make that mistake.
One of the things about lying that I've learned in life, now listen to this, because this is great wisdom. Don't say you'll do as much as you say you're going to do. Stop talking about and promising things. Just don't say anything, then you don't have to meet that promise if it gets hard. Wisdom says, don't promise too much, right? Be careful. But beyond that is people who willfully, deliberately lie to gain some advantage financially, and they won't be back, and you're only hurting your own business if that happens. Proverbs 10, 18 says, whoever tells lies is a fool. Numbers 32, 23 says, you can be sure your sin will track you. My sin tracked me in the form of a picture in the annual, but our sin will track us in other ways as well. Second thought. First, we hurt, our, we hurt ourselves when we lie. Second, we hurt others. I've told this story several times, but it, as far as hurting others, I can't think of a better illustration, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it again. I feel like an illustration is like a good song. You can hear it again, you know. Um, but when I was about six years old, we were living in Iowa, and I was going to school there, and I remember, I believe this was summertime, my mom put us down for a nap. We were all one year apart, five, six, seven, eight, and I found out years later that she needed a nap, you know, that's why we were going down each, each day. Um, but we had lunch, and she gave us a special treat. She gave us all a Snickers bar, and we loved that, that you know, caramel, nougat, peanut, chocolate, covered thing. I mean, I still love them. And listen, people always bring me Snickers, and I just want to say after this illustration, go ahead and bring them because I love them, all right? <clears throat> I'll just pile them up somewhere and eat them later. But, but my mother, after giving us this candy bar, when she put us to bed, she said, now kids, I don't want anyone to eat that last candy bar on top of the refrigerator because that's for your dad. So we laid down and everybody else went to sleep and I couldn't sleep and somehow that candy bar was on my mind. And at six years old, I figured I could make it work. I got up, I pushed a chair up to the refrigerator, I opened the package carefully, I gobbled that Snickers down and then with the brilliance that I had in my mind, I knew this would work, I puffed up the package to make it look like the candy bar was still in there as if that would make it all better. I can't imagine how dad felt when he first grabbed it, you know? <laughs> what happened here? I remember my mother coming into the room and waking us from our nap, just out of this dead sleep, and she says, okay, I want to know right now who ate the Snickers, and she has a belt in her hands. These were the days when kids got spankings, you know? So I'm thinking, I ate it, she's got a belt, I'm not telling, you know, that's what I, that's, because I'll get a spanking, and and then she says, after a moment with her wisdom, you tell me now or I'm going to spank all four of you. So I'm thinking, well, maybe I should tell. But man, I don't. And by that time, she has my brother and she's spanking him. Well, he's my big brother. So now I know if I tell, I'll not only get a spanking, but I'm going to get beat up by my big brother. <laughs> I didn't tell, honest to goodness truth, I watched in pain as she spanked all three of them and then spanked me last. And this is the truth. When I was 27 years old at Christmas, I finally told them who ate the Snickers. <laughs> there was a lot of bitterness we had to deal with in that, in that moment. My brother sat in first service and had to hear this story again this morning. But I found out that day that not only did it hurt me, it hurt others around me. Now that's 
a physical way and a humorous way to explain something, but you think it doesn't hurt a wife when you lie to her? I mean, that alone, an issue of truth, separates and divides and causes divorce. It causes so much pain. Who is this person? And vice versa. Uh, We have to be so careful. I mean, husband and wife, wife and husband, if the wife lies. In business, your partners, your co-workers, they won't come back to work with you. And not only does it hurt you, but it hurts them because they're associated with you. Ephesians 4.25, stop lying to each other. Tell the truth, for we are parts of each other. And when we lie to each other, we're hurting ourselves. Third thought now. We hurt ourselves, we hurt others when we lie. And and then this, we hurt the cause of Christ. There's no light shining. It's causing people to turn away from him if if we're doing this and we're saying we're his. I love this story. It's a true story that happened in the 19th century. Uh, There was an old man named, uh, actually there was a German philosopher named Immanuel Kant. This happened in Germany. And, and this is a story about Immanuel Kant's dad. He made a dangerous trip through the forest of Poland. This is a true story. To his native country of Silesia. And on the way, he met up with some robbers who demanded all of his valuables. At the end of the, the thievery, they asked him, have you given us everything? And he answered, all, I've given you all. And then Mr. Kant was ushered away. They took his horse and all of his belongings. And as he was walking away, he felt in his robe and he remembered that he had sold, sown, rather, sown gold into a safe place so it can be hidden for just a situation such as this. And unbelievably, you'd think he would be justified in not giving him that because he had said he'd given him everything, he turned around. And he walked back to where these robbers were and he said to them, I told you, that I'd given you everything, but I was so terrified I forgot. I actually have some gold sewn into my robe here. Here, take this too. That is everything. And when he extended the coins to them, they stood quiet and looked at him with confusion. Then to his astonishment, the old fellow saw that One robber went and brought back the rest of his belongings to him. Another gave him the books that they'd taken. One of them was a book of prayer. And still the other brought his horse back to him and they helped him mount his horse. And then before they sent him away with everything they'd given back, they said, would you please say a blessing over us? True story. You know, these things in the negative side cause such pain, but on the positive side, it's unbelievable the results. When there's integrity and honesty, it breaks people down to the point where they want to know our God. God help us to be honest people. That day, truth triumphed over thievery. Philippians 2 says this, so that no one can criticize you, live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Now I want to add to this, be, be careful, watch your mouth sermon, um, <clears throat> some thoughts that are closely related 
to lying that cause great damage. And I'm just going to call this category, be careful. Be careful not to slander or gossip about other people. And here's what I mean about this. Don't defame another person in any way. Don't try to make them look bad or look worse when they're not present to people that you're speaking to. Don't try to make their value diminish in the eyes of others. We slander when we cause other people to think bad thoughts about someone. We gossip, and I've even seen this in prayer. I mean, gossip and prayer don't go together. Someone shares a prayer request in a very gossipy way. Have you ever heard that? It's like, stop. This, this, you, darkness and light can't dwell together here. We can't gossip and then pray. The purpose wasn't even prayer. It was to get the information out. We, we have to be people who speak words of encouragement. If you can't, what did mom say? If you can't say anything good, don't say anything at all. We see it where churches will talk bad about other churches. I never want that to be us. I love these men of God around us who are shepherds and blessing the sheep. We love the flock of Jesus everywhere, the body of Christ. And we need to be so careful. We we need to be careful that we don't make that business that works down the street that sells the same product as we do that we don't tell people uh, and we can do it in a very passive-aggressive way. Oh, they're nice people. Yeah, they, you know, their prices are quite a bit higher and they, they don't follow up as well as we do. And I mean, if you're not careful, you can lead, and they've been dishonest a time or two. But other than that, they're great people. I really like them, you know. You can lead people astray on purpose to make yourself look better or you can lead people astray to think bad thoughts about others. And I would just say, don't do that. Because that, that, that is as damaging as lying. And the Bible says in James 3, 5, so also the tongue is a small thing, but what enormous damage it can do. A great forest can be set on fire by one tiny spark. And then when I think about um, <clears throat> trying to make other people look bad and, and lying, I, I, for, for some reason as I was studying, I thought of the case that Wendy's had a few years ago in 2005 when it was reported on the national news that a finger was found in, in Wendy's chili. Didn't you guys remember that story? Anybody remember that? Um, I can tell you, I like Wendy's, and I didn't eat any chili for a while at, at Wendy's, right? And I didn't go as frequently because of this story. But on April 21st of 2005, Ann Ayala, the one who had said that the finger was in her chili, was arrested by Las Vegas police on a charge of attempted grand larceny pertaining to this Wendy's case. Police later determined that the mysterious finger that Ayala claimed to have found in a bowl of chili came from an associate of her husband's at work who lost his fingertip when it was severed in the tailgate of a truck. I mean, I'm going to say, give me that finger back. I got to go to the doctor, but I don't know how he let her have it, you know, but she took it and put it. What kind of person sees a severed finger and says, I have an idea? (laughs) I mean, we have serious issues with integrity here, not to mention compassion. 
she was sentenced to nine years in prison. And, and, and one of the reasons they got onto it is she had, she had sued restaurants before for various reasons. She was an expert at this. Nine years in prisons. Now, now here's, here's the deal. It cost Wendy's hundreds of thousands of, of customers, and it wasn't even true. It cost them millions of dollars. And it was a lie. When you extrapolate that thought into the lives of others, how does a good man who's been lied about defend himself? When someone else believes in, looks them in the eye and tells them a complete lie to damage this guy, he'll find people standing over him with their necks bowed and spit spewing as they tell him how bad he is. And how do you defend yourself from a lie? If you push hard back, they just say, yeah, see, he's proven it's true or she's proven it's true. The only way you can overcome a lie is to live a good life and keep loving in spite of all the negative things that are coming your way. But it, it's killed businesses, it's killed reputations, and it's not even true. I think of the story of, that I read about a lady who was a gossip in a community, a small community, and she went to the same church as this businessman who would sell his insurance at night times and he'd park his cars at different places. And uh, she started rumors about his car being in front of certain women's houses. And he got tired of it. He spoke to her. Nothing happened. So he thought of a great idea. He parked his car in front of her house for one solid week every night. <laughs> but really, how do, you, how do you overcome these things that are lies? A tongue can set the course of a life on fire with lies and criticism and slander. And then this, this is not really part of it, but I just want to throw it in since we're talking about our mouths. Don't be a critical person. Some of us were raised in homes, and I say this with compassion, raised in homes where all you heard from the time that you could understand the English language was uh, negative words, not only about you, but about others. All communication was slanted towards seeing the fault of others. When you live that way, it eventually moves to going beyond what's actual and real with fault. God doesn't want us to be critical people. It says in Matthew 7, 1, Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you'll be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Which would mean, if we're critical about others then other people are going to be critical about us. You just open yourself up to things coming back at you all the time. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? I've, I've never seen a critical spirit help any cause. There are some people, true, true, true deal here, who believe they have the gift of criticism. They're helping people see all the wrong stuff. There's no gift of criticism in the Bible. It's not a gift. It's, it, it, it leads to sin and discouragement. We need to people, be the people who see the good and speak those things that are not yet as though they're coming into being. We put a crown a few inches above people's heads and we watch them grow into it. 
Now listen, if you haven't been convicted in this sermon yet, let me pray for you for pride afterwards, all right? All of us have to be really careful about this. Here's a good thought. Don't say anything about anyone that you're not willing to say to that person yourself within 24 hours. That'll shut you up right there. That'll shut me up too. Some of us have been trained into this with, by people around us through the years, even at business. Just, just don't partake in that negative talk. <clears throat> the first year we were here as pastors, 20 years ago, my son Aaron was four years old and we were having a work day at the, at the old site, the old church site on Sagart, which we still own, it's the schools over there and we still do ministry out of that site. And um, we had people everywhere sweeping and cutting lawn and trimming everything and uh, it was really fun, you know, to have everybody out there together. Of course, Aaron, he was kind of acting like he was working, but he's really just running around, you know, messing stuff up and stomping in a mud puddle, but it, it was just fun for all of us to be together and be working. He had gotten in this big mud puddle that had been sitting there for a while, and you know how kids are, he had his rubber boots, especially a four-year-old. This is a fun moment, you know, to find a mud puddle. And he kept saying to his mother along the way, because he didn't realize that was kind of stench water that was there, he kept saying, this place stinks. This place stinks. And finally, he said to his mother after several times, let's get out of here. This place stinks. And then she got him in the car and they were going back home for the afternoon. And he started sniffing and he said, I can still smell that smell. He's like two miles away from the church and, and this little four-year-old says, that wasn't the church that stunk, it was me. You know, I think that's a pretty good analogy for what usually goes on with critical people. It's not so much that everything else stinks. This is a stinky attitude. And, and we, we, need, we need to be careful. Ron Mel, uh, a pastor mentor that I love dearly who's gone on to be with the Lord, said to some pastors who gathered one time, he said, be careful with the way people come to your church because if they come being critical about where they've been, the way they come is usually the way they leave. So if I hear someone critical about where they've been before, it makes me a little bit nervous. But God help us with our relationships, with our, with our spouse. Look, we're so beat down in this world by the elements that are out there that are not godly. We need to believe in one another when we get home. We need to know somebody cares about us and you, you can't, you, you, it's not your job to perfect everything in your wife. It's Jesus' job. I find that if we appreciate people for what they are, they get better all the way around. If we lift them up and encourage them instead of criticize with our children, we don't want them growing up thinking they're inadequate somehow. We want them to believe that God can use their lives. In the church, if we want unity, we don't need critical spirits because where there's unity, God commands his blessing. Listen, everybody in this church isn't perfect and if you find a perfect church, go there, but you'll ruin it because you're not perfect. Really, no one's perfect. But we're growing, we're becoming, we're seeing good things, we're leaving these things behind us as the Bible says that so easily beset us and we're trusting in the Lord. Psalm 1914 
says this, and I close with this scripture. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer.